First Peter two, verse twenty-four. One verse this evening, and we sang a rendition of it just now as we finished that hymn. First Peter, chapter two, verse twenty-four. Word of God says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Would you pray with me? Lord, take this verse. Take this truth and show us Christ. Show us the wounds. Show us the sickness. But most of all, show us the healing that comes from the wounds. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this evening our focus will be upon just this last sentence in this one verse. Uh, By his wounds you have been healed. Now this is such a beautiful statement. It says so much in so little words. It declares... The gospel to us in seven simple words. It speaks to the reality of sin, but also to the redemption in Christ. If we want to think or picture Good Friday, this verse gives us a picture as it speaks of his wounds. It gives a gruesome picture of that day, but it also reveals to us the glorious salvation that comes out of that same day. The sentence speaks of sickness, sickness that leads to death. It it tells of a disease, but yet it tells a story of life eternal. This Sentence, by his wounds you have been healed, speaks of the healing remedy that conquers the worst sickness and the worst disease mankind has ever seen. We speak about the gospel in many different ways because the Bible has so much to say about the gospel and about salvation. And we get sort of pulled into, and rightfully so, words and statements about. Uh, uh, sin and judgment and justice and wrath and God's anger and hell. And so to, to counteract those things, we want to proclaim forgiveness and justification and the grace of God and heaven and all these words and all these statements and they're so right and they're so true. But this sentence, by his wounds we, have, we are healed, reminds us that we are creatures that are infected 
by a disease. It speaks to us about life, about healing and remedy. The medicine of God to cure our deadly illness. And this is the theme of the evening uh, and just sort of breaking up into two parts. I want to talk about the sickness and then I want to talk about the cure. And you're... And, Here's, again, I, I spoke this at the beginning of our service. You've heard this. It's gone in one ear. It's probably gone out the other. But here's what I want to understand. I want you to know what I want you to grasp is that this word, that this, this sentence goes in and it gets implanted. And not only once, but again and again and again. That you don't forget about the sickness and you don't forget about the cure and actually coming together today is a part of the cure so don't say been there done that heard this take in the medicine okay take in the medicine so first sickness now again there are many things going on in salvation and as we've gone through our catechism uh, we've seen this justification, ado- adoption, sanctification. We see all these things and we understand um, that salvation is more than just our secure destination into heaven. Salvation deals with many things. It deals with our failure to obey God's law, our, our debt that we owe God. It deals with our lack of goodness, our lack of righteousness. But all of those problems are byproduct of the disease. Those are just symptoms. They are the effects of the infection. Those are the results of our sickness. In our world today, even in churches today, we don't speak much about having such a condition. We are people that are in denial of our true health, our true spiritual health. We've seen and tasted the cancer that's within us, and we've diagnosed it as a common cold. And the medicine we need, we turn from because, hey, I've only got a common cold. Give me some of the essential oils. I'll put it a little bit here and a little bit there. I don't need anything invasive. I just need a touch of a little something. Nothing too extreme. All the while ignoring the real remedy that reflects something of the nature of chemo. We need something to come from outside of us to come and fight within us. The Old Testament speaks much about sickness. And if you study it, you see it. It's everywhere. And of course, as you we read Peter, and you look at what he says, you realize that he's actually quoting a passage from the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah. It's, it's as if he's paraphrasing Isaiah 53, the passage that we started with this morning. Um, let's turn to Isaiah 53 again. Let's look at what he said, what Peter said. 
was referring to. Isaiah is going to be not too far after Psalms and Proverbs. Go past um, Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, and you'll get to Isaiah. And look at 53. I want to pay... Now, and again, I, I mentioned this as we were reading it. This is a prophecy of Isaiah about the coming Messiah, about Jesus Christ. Verse 4, verse 4 in Isaiah 53. Surely He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And here it is. And with his wounds we are healed. Now go back up at four. And here's what I want you to understand. The word griefs and sorrows. We think of those as sort of mental issues. But griefs in the Hebrew here speaks to a sickness. Sorrows speak to pain. And it says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And then we finish the end of five, and with His wounds we are healed. So, as I was looking at this verse, and of course it's a very common statement, by His wounds we are healed. Songs have been made, poems have been written, people have put it on their tombstones, everything. And you just have to think, Healed, thought I was saved, thought I was redeemed. No, you were healed of your sickness. Now, so I begin to question what that sickness is. And of course, you know where we're going here, but we don't want to presume. If you're going to be a, a worker of the truth, rightly handling the Word of God, you want to ask questions of the passage you're looking at, and then you want us to find the answer, look in the passage or around the passage. And so I was asking myself, okay, what is this sickness? What is he healing us, healing us, us from? And so I'm assuming that Isaiah's got the answer probably before Isaiah 53, so I'm kind of combing and looking through. And, of course, I, I wound up at Isaiah chapter 1. He states the problem at the very beginning. Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 4. See, Isaiah... Now, you have to forgive me. This first... As we go through the, the first point of sickness, there is... We continue on in the metaphor. We're going to look at the diagnosis. We're going to check out the symptoms. And then we're going to look at the prognosis. Okay? Isaiah makes the diagnosis. Verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, and they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, 
There is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds, and they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. The disease is diagnosed, as you guessed it, sin. God calls Israel, and Israel is a microcosm of the world as far as this is concerned. God calls these people a sinful nation. But notice that they are a people, they're not just a people that sin, but they are a people filled with sin. Our problem isn't that we sin, our problem is that we are sinners who sin. The disease is within us. But notice um, in verse 5. Notice that this disease has infected the whole person. Excuse me, verse 6. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. He's even spoken of the head and the heart in verse 5. The disease of sin infects the whole person. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but we can consider the whole of a person, their mind, their heart, and their soul. And all of those aspects of yourself have been infected by the disease of of sin. Not one part of you has not been influenced by sin. But also we see, if you look back up in verse 4, we find out the disease is hereditary. Passed down from generation to generation. Verse 4, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. Recall David's Psalm 51. That he wrote his psalm of repentance after his uh, sin with Bathsheba and his murdering of Uriah, her husband. What did he say in his confession? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother Conceive me. He acknowledges he was born a sinner. And again, Paul would write to the Romans that sin entered through one man, that one man being Adam. And then from that, all have sinned. It spread from one generation to the next, to the next, and to the next for all time. And we tend to get, well, everyone throughout that timeline tends to think, not me. But it does not skip a generation. The disease of sin is hereditary. But lastly, in totality, what does this disease do? Look back at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they... Have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. The disease of sin 
has a great effect on the, re- the world around you, on the people around you. But most of all, it sets you against God. It turns you from worshiping a creator to rebelling against him. Look at verse 5. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Ultimately, we know Romans 5 says that mankind in their sinful state become an enemy. They are an enemy of God. And Paul sums it, up, sums it up real well in Romans 3 when he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now the problem with us today and the problem with everyone all the time is that we're, it's easy for us to say, I'm a sinner. But when we don't realize what it means to fall short of the glory of God, you can call yourself a sinner all day long. And if you don't know, realize how far you have fallen, how how laid up on the deathbed that you truly are because the glory of God is infinite and majestic and the disease of sin has brought you so low, so far from God. Well, I don't want to get to the prognosis just yet. So what are the symptoms? What are the symptoms? Symptoms, what are they? They... They're sort of a physical expression of the disease that's inside of you, right? You don't go to the doctor and say, hey, I've got this. Give me a fix. You usually don't know, and so you go to the doctor and they ask you, what are your symptoms? And your symptoms help you understand what the sickness is inside, what has infected you internally. So what are the symptoms of sin? We've sort of touched on it already in Isaiah 1 there. Um, well, we have to remember what's infected. The mind, the heart, the soul. So what would be the symptoms of an infected mind? Evil thoughts and deeds. What about of an infected heart? Loving the things that aren't loving or lovable. Affections and emotions are influenced to evil. What about the the sin's effect on your soul? It will manifest in a will and a desire opposite of God. And of course, the greatest passage in Scripture that lists the symptoms of the sickness of sin comes out of Romans 3. And you stay there and let me read you the symptoms of a sick, sinful person. And Paul actually, in making this list, goes to the Old Testament to find all of these symptoms. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands mind. No one seeks God, soul, and will. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. 
They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. They are, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, and it's not hard to see the symptoms around us. But it's very difficult to do a self-examination. A self-diagnosis. But if there's one thing I want you to take away from this first point is that a self, a regular self-examination of your soul is a very needed, healthy habit of a Christian. A daily Moment by moment, if the, if we could do it second by second, examining ourselves, looking for the symptoms, wow. Consider your thoughts as they pass through your mind, just today. Yeah, we might never act upon them, but the reality is, is that the seeds of evil are implanted in our minds your thoughts towards your coworker, your boss, perhaps even hatred thoughts. How quickly are our minds to, to turn towards lust? And many times the evil seed sprouts and goes forth not just in our, in our thoughts, but out from our mouths and our to- from our tongues. You can recall the words you've uttered against a, your spouse in a moment of anger or the impatient lashing out at your children. What is this all from? It's from your sin-infected mind. This is the working of sin within you. Consider the affections of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But yet we give our love and our heart to so many other things. So many other things. We pour out our love for worldly, worthless trinkets. We seek satisfaction in money, relationships, careers, hobbies, three-bed, two-bath homes, 80 acres, a shop full of toys. All the things that will leave us lacking, things that will rust, things that will not go beyond this life, things that when Christ... Puts his foot back on this earth and all things are shaken. None of it will remain. But yet we love it. And we hold on to it. Sin directs our heart to worldly worthlessness. And we know the words of Christ. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sin's greatest effect on you is to direct your mind, heart, and soul away from God and towards lesser things. Self-examination. Now, we world examination, a world diagnosis is pretty simple. Take a look around, right? Turn on the news. Turn on the news and you see the true pandemic that's covered this globe. But the thing I want to, to warn you about 
is as, as much as a self-examination is, is good, so is a worldly examination that you might hold up the things of the world and how they compare to the Word because you might open your eyes one day and realize that over time that you have conformed to the world in one aspect. You have slipped away because you have turned your back to examining yourself and the world to the Word. So practice self-examination and world examination to diagnose the problem. What's the prognosis? Let me just tell you, there's no hope. That's not my words. It's the words of God. Do you know what you know what sin brings? It brings death. It brings death. For the wages of sin is death. But you know, the lie of the devil in this world and the lie your flesh wants to believe is that there is a treatment in this world for you. And it might even be within you, they say. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no worldly treatment for this disease. Look, are you still in Isaiah 1? Look at verse 6. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. So what's the remedy? There are not pressed out, or ba- you can't wrap them to get rid of them. You can't bound them up or soften the issues with oil. There's no ointment, no balm, no medication this world has to offer to cure you of the disease of sin within you. Now, just so you believe what I'm saying, Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah, just look to the right a little bit. Verse 30, I told you the the Old Testament has a lot to say about sickness and healing. Jeremiah 30, starting in verse 12. This one, you can't deny it. Jeremiah 30, 12. Thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable. Your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause. No medicine for your wound. No healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciful, merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry over, out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. 
But yet we live in a time and a place where everyone is looking for a cure around them. We have bankrolled snake oil salesmen of this world. How much money are these prosperity preachers flying around in their fancy jets? All from people seeking the cure. What about the healing from finding healing from self-help authors and speakers? Thousands of dollars to hear someone tell you how you can be a healthy, better person. But many also look for life and healing through the government. Thinking by the power that they hold over, keep me in office and I will keep your life going. What do we have in this world? We've got many ointments, but no cure. So let's talk about the cure. Where does the healing come from? Still in, still in Jeremiah 30? So this is a pretty hard message. There's no cure. Verse 17. Oh, but for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Where does our help come from? It comes from heaven. It comes from above. As the psalmist says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Help doesn't come from the horizontal. It comes from looking up. And to look up, you must be humble. There's a problem. Looking up is an act of humility. Looking up is accepting and admitting that you are in desperate need of a great physician. That you are living your life on the sickbed. You are in the death ward. And looking up is admitting that apart from an act of God, you are dying forever. How many times have we heard the story or read in the paper about the man or the woman who's been dealing with an illness only to push it aside, perhaps perhaps try to mask or cover the symptoms with this remedy or that remedy, unwilling to humble themselves and seek true medical help and attention? And you see the headline, healthy woman, 35, dies suddenly after dealing with headaches for two weeks. Some of you in here even as professing Christians, don't even acknowledge your need for help from God. Now, you, you might have moved your lips. You might have moved your lips to acknowledge that there's a sickness and, okay, you have it. But you truly don't believe it as a serious matter. And you've never actually prayerfully asked God for the cure. We must understand if we fight the disease of sin on a horizontal level, not surrendering to the help that comes from the hills, we will die. 
So what's the medicine? What's the curing balm? The answer, this one might take you by surprise. It's the righteousness of God. Still in Jeremiah, flip to 33, verse 14. After saying and earlier in 33, I will bring health and healing. I will restore. I will uh, cleanse them from the guilt and I will forgive them of the guiltiness of their sin and rebellion against me. He says in verse 14, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel, the house of Judah. In those days at that time, I will cause a righteous keyword, righteous branch to spring up for David And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will deal securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord Yahweh is our righteousness. Righteousness comes into the world through this branch that springs up for David, who will execute justice and righteousness. Alas, we are speaking of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the holy one of Israel. You know 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, right? God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That so that we might become the righteousness of God. Or what about Romans 3? But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest, has appeared. <coughs> Apart from the law... The righteousness of God has come through faith in Jesus Christ. What we know about this disease, we know that it has come down from our father, Adam. But what else has followed that disease? We know it has followed death. And when sin and death reign, do you know what does not? Righteousness. Righteousness does not abide where sin reigns. And sickness, the sickness of sin, when it it is reigning in your body. Sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all men. One trespass led to condemnation for all. The remedy to sin is a dose of righteousness from the righteous one. The remedy to sin is a dose of righteousness from the only righteous one. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, (coughs) the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience or righteousness, the many will be made righteous. We must understand that opposite of where sin reigns, righteousness does not abide. Where righteousness reigns, sin cannot abide. Do we understand that? The dose, the cure for our illness is the righteousness of Christ. While death follows sin, so life follows righteousness. Read Romans 5 this week. How is the medicine applied? Answer, look to the righteous one on the cross. On the cross, by his wounds, you have been healed. 
Jesus, the righteous one, did not just come to live, but he came to die. He came as a substitute. He came as the remedy to give you life through his death. Isaiah 53, right, says, Surely he bore our griefs, our sickness. He carried our pain that comes from that sickness. This isn't a mental grief or mental sorrow. This reflects, as we said, the sickness and the pain that is com- that comes from sin. And so when Paul tells us that he became sin who knew no sin, what is he telling us? But that the pure one took on the poison that coursed through our veins. He took it out of us and took it upon the cross and carried it to the cross because he took that sin, because he took our grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that we deserved was placed upon him. And how does it finish? By his wounds, we are healed. And if we are to be healed... There must be, we must look. How do you apply the ointment? It's not good enough to know that the medicine is in the cabinet. It's not good enough to know that you went and got the prescription. The medicine is useless unless you apply it. You must apply the ointment of the righteousness of Christ by looking to him and trusting in him for life. For spiritual healing. You must look at his wounds to live. You must trust in him. For the righteousness of God is now revealed by faith in Jesus Christ. You need the righteousness, right? The righteousness of God is now revealed by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Who put on that ointment. Now, we'll close here. With an illustration, a verse, and I want to read a hymn for you. There's no other better illustration in Scripture for this than the sentence that comes before the most well-known verse of all time. What's the most well-known verse of all time? John 3.16. Do you know the verses 14 and 15 that come before it? You need it. You should know. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in the garden. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is why this story is so good. The the Israelites are... Wandering through the wilderness, grumbling and complaining after they had seen the work of God countless and countless times. And God, in seeing and dealing with their unbelief, sends fiery serpents to start biting them. And one by one, after being bit by these fiery serpents and the poison of these serpents coursing through their veins, they fell dead. And so Israel, the ones who are still alive, run to Moses and say, we need help. We're dying. This poison is killing us. 
Go to God and, 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 and tell him to fix this. Stop it. And so God says, all right, Moses, go, go fashion a bronze serpent, put it on a pole in the middle of camp, and tell everyone, whoever goes and looks upon the serpent will be healed. So imagine Moses going to the people who have been bitten or about to be bitten. Maybe the, the poison is running through their veins from this snake. And he says, God told me to put a bronze serpent on a pole in the middle of the camp. You go look at it. You'll live. I just got bit by a serpent, Moses. I don't want to go look at one. What's the difference between the serpent that bit them and the serpent on the pole? There's no venom in the serpent upon the pole. God told them to do it. There's no venom in the serpent upon the pole. Christ was raised as a man. My problem is myself. I don't need to go look at a cross at another man dying. There's no poison in him. You must look at his wounds and be healed. You must look at him and apply the ointment of life by faith. Trust, trust, in, trust in the man on the cross. Trust in the man that's dying. Whom people are mocking and scoffing at. It's a ridiculous thought, but look at the man on the cross. Look at the man on the cross and be healed of the poison running through your veins. Be healed of the sickness of sin. May your mind and heart and soul be cured. So that as 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 Peter says before he says by your wounds, by his wounds you may be healed. He said that he bore your sins on his body on the tree so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. And that's what we do after we have been healed. But see, I, I want you to understand the instructions on the medicine bottle are very simple. Apply daily. For the rest of your life. Apply daily. For the re- Look to the man on the cross every day of your life. Trusting. Knowing that he is the cure. Because guess what? There's still a little bit coursing through your veins. So look to him. And one day you'll look at him and guess what? It'll all be gone. You'll be like him. So, Colossians 3 says, If you have been raised with Christ, meaning you've been healed, set your mind and your eyes to the things above where your help comes from. Now, I wish I knew how to play this hymn, but I don't. So, I'm just going to read it for you. We'll learn it. 
as we as we began and we talked about the familiarity of the gospel the cross this hymn reminds us of what it means to us tell me the old old story of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory of Jesus and his love Tell me the story simply as to a little child, for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Tell me the story slowly that I may may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon the early dew of morning has passed away at noon. Tell me the same old story When you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. Yes, and when the world's glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Christ Jesus makes me whole. Let's pray. Father, would you use this old, old story, this glorious news, to heal us more today and tomorrow and the next. May Christ our King be exalted. In His name we pray. Amen.